Good morning, Hallmark. It's good to see all of you. Uh, for those of you that are our first time, first timers here, welcome. I like to say welcome home to Hallmark. We like to say that around here. And uh, my name is Dave Winger. I'm blessed to serve as the associate pastor. Our senior pastor, John Haley, is at a leadership meeting this weekend. And then the churches that we fellowship and partner with for world missions is having a national meeting in Orlando, Florida. And so he is down there for that. So please pray for our pastor as he's away. And if you're a first-time guest, that means you have to check out our church two weeks in a row because you got the B preacher today. you got to come back and hear the A preacher next week. We, we would love for you to meet uh, Pastor John. He'll be back next Sunday. Uh, but it's so good to see all of you. Thank you for being here. I'm going to have you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. I don't know about you, but the last couple weeks I've thoroughly enjoyed the sermon series entitled One. I think it's been a blessing for our church. Uh, to be reminded that in Christ we are one body in Him through one Spirit. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope. That's a great reminder, a great encouragement. Uh, I know to me personally, we've talked a lot about unity. And it's my job to wrap up the series this morning. And in doing so, I'm going to talk about the one mission that we have as believers. Jesus gave us one job. One mission, and that is to spread one message to everyone and anyone who believes. We're to preach the gospel. That's our job as believers, not just preachers, not just teachers, not just missionaries. Every follower of Jesus Christ has been commissioned with the mission to take one message to everyone around the world. There are five famous commission passages, and I wanted to start off by showing you those commission passages in the Bible. The Great Commission is just Jesus giving his followers a mission, and there are five uh, mission statements found in the Gospels. The first, the most familiar, is Matthew 28, 19 and 20, where Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The second one, which was actually the first one recorded in the Gospels was Mark 16, 15 through 16. Jesus said to them, his followers, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. The third great commission passage is probably a little less familiar. It's in Luke 24. This was Jesus talking to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and it says, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. There's another pretty familiar Great Commission passage in the book of Acts. So, oh, I'm sorry, let's go to John first. I'm sorry, Matt. Uh, this is when Jesus appears to his disciples after his resurrection, and he says, peace to you, because they were all a little freaked out. They thought they were seeing maybe a ghost. Jesus said, peace. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. So Jesus said, the Father has sent me to accomplish some things, to seek and to save the lost. And so now I'm sending you to do that same thing. Now let's look at the, at the book of Acts 1.8. Jesus, just before he ascends to heaven, the disciples gathered around. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Those are the five Great Commission passages. All followers of Jesus, we have one mission. 
and that's to preach the gospel, which is basically the good news that Jesus has come to free us from our sins, to save us, and to give us eternal life through His finished work on the cross. That's our one mission. It's to tell everyone and anyone who would believe. But I think there's another passage of Scripture that deserves honorable mention. Uh, because all of these talk about our job to witness, and, and really, you, you may have grown up in the church and heard the word evangelize, or evangelism, or personal evangelism. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about each and every one of us sharing the good news, being a witness to what Jesus has done in our life. In fact, uh, the Greek for evangelism is uangelizo, uh, I think. Oh, I messed that up. But anyway, you don't care what the Greek says. The, the word means preach the gospel, preach the good news. Did you know that the word preach is made up mostly of the word reach? We're supposed to be reaching people with the good news. We're supposed to be delivery guys and gals of the greatest news the world has ever heard. But these five passages, even though they're compelling and even though they're commands of Jesus, I think there's one other passage of Scripture that really deserves honorable mention and kind of simplifies evangelism for us. Because I'll be honest with you, in our attempts to equip you to be personal evangelists, I think that we sometimes make it harder than it really is to be witnesses, to witness and share our faith with other people. We've come up with formulas and programs, things you can memorize. A few of the popular ones that, that have been out there since I've been in ministry is maybe the Romans Road. That might ring a bell with some of you. You memorize a couple passages in the book of Romans, and it is supposed to equip you to be able to share the gospel with someone. Uh, so that's a useful tool. Another one that, that was pretty popular was called Evangelism Explosion. And so I went through the training there. There's some scriptures that you memorize and phrases that you say. Uh, faith evangelism is also a very popular tool. The four spiritual laws, many of you know what that's talking about. There's even an app for that. There's, there's an app that was designed called the Three Circles app. And it's just basically three circles that show how mankind is broken in their sin, but Jesus made a, a way, and you can find hope and purpose in Him. All great tools. And I have taken the training, and I even have certificates to show you that I've completed this training successfully. But I'll just be honest with you, none of these tools have helped me to be better and more faithful at sharing my faith. Really, it's more simple than memorizing something or studying a formula. It's really simple. And in fact, it reminded me of this passage that, that I think deserves honorable mention with the Great Commission passages, and that's in Luke chapter 5, verse 10. Jesus had just performed a miracle. These guys were fishing, and um, they were done fishing. They had caught nothing, and he had actually borrowed their boats to teach a message to everybody that had gathered, and then he told them to go out and fish some more. And they were like, you're kidding. We fished all night. We haven't caught anything. Now we have a carpenter telling us, career fishermen, where we can go catch fish. But they amused him, and they, they pushed their boats out, and they put their net down on the side of the boat, and instantly their net was filled to overflowing with fish, so much so that they were afraid their nets were going to break and they had to get help. And they were just in awe of this miracle that Jesus had performed. And Peter gets out of the boat and he bows down before him and he's like, I am a sinful man. He was just overwhelmed by the amount of fish that they caught in a miraculous way. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. For from now on, I will make you a fisher of men. From now on, you will catch men, some of the translations say in Luke 5.10. 
he simplifies this commission, this job, this one mission that we have down to a fish story. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So today, in my attempt to remind you of this one mission, I want to go back before the Romans road, back before the day of Pentecost, back before there were even 12 disciples, back even before the story that I just talked about in Luke 5. I want to go back to John chapter 1 where Jesus calls his first disciples, and I'm going to show you how sharing the gospel is really so very simple, and I think we should get back to that. John chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 35, and I need some help because I'm over the age of 45 uh, this morning, but take a look at this. John chapter 1, It says again the next day, John, and this is John the Baptist, not John whom the gospel is named after. This is John the Baptist. He'd been preaching, preparing the way of the Lord. And as he preaches and baptizes those who are anticipating Messiah, he begins to get some followers. And so John the Baptist has some disciples. And so he's with his disciples, and it says the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And just a few verses earlier, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the promised Messiah. This is our hope. The two disciples that were with John the Baptist heard him speak, and they leave John, and they begin following Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. That was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew was a fisherman, just like Simon. And so after he begins following Jesus, look at verse 41. It says, He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Pretty simple. Verse 41. Now, when Jesus looked at Simon, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Verse 43, The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. He personally calls Philip. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip then found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So here we have two of John the Baptist's disciples following Jesus, two of Jesus' very first disciples. And uh, we know that Andrew was a, a fisherman, just like his brother Peter, and he began to follow Jesus. And then instantly, he begins to fish for other people so that they too can follow Jesus. And he goes and he finds his brother Peter. And we know Peter would go on to become a pillar of the church. He just simply says, hey, Peter... We found the Messiah. You need to come and see. Pretty simple invitation. So he went fishing for Peter. And then we see Philip personally invited by Jesus to follow him. And one of the first things Philip does is he goes and finds a friend who doesn't know Jesus, Nathaniel, and says, Hey, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah, the answer to all of our 
questions, the one who satisfies all of our hopes and dreams in this life, you need to come. And so he comes and sees, and then they begin to follow Jesus. It's a pretty simple formula. And this morning in our time together, I want us to see what can, what can Andrew and Philip teach us about personal evangelism, this one mission that Jesus has given us to do. Well, we're going to see two things, and the first thing is that they were hooked on Jesus. They were hooked on Jesus. They'd hung out with John the Baptist for a while. They'd heard him preach that there's a Messiah coming, and the day that John points out Jesus and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, there he is. They're like, that's it. I'm in. I'm leaving you, John. No hard feelings. You're a little crazy, you dress kind of funny, and you eat grasshoppers. I'm going with this guy. And they leave John the Baptist. They begin instantly following Jesus. Why? Because they were hooked on him. They were hooked on They realized that he's the way, the truth, the life, that, that he's their answer for life. There's nothing that they could pursue as young men that would satisfy like following the Messiah. So they left everything they had and followed him. They were hooked on Jesus. And, and why do we know they were hooked? Well, they were excited about it. You can almost hear their exciting descriptions in verses 41 through 45. They're like, we have found the Messiah. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. This is the guy. He's the one. John the Baptist was just preparing the way. Reminds me of Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, where it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Jesus was the word of God made flesh. He was creator God who had come to redeem mankind. They were excited. Now, we get excited about a lot of things these days, don't we? Last week, a lot of people were excited that the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. They were fanatic, you know? I mean, they were going out and buying red. Uh, Even if they weren't Chief fans, they just went, they got all excited about the Chiefs. We get excited about stuff. We get excited about football games. We get excited about new food that we have. We have a food network on TV so we can watch food on television. It just makes us hungry to eat more food. We're excited about uh, places and experiences. We, We get excited about a lot of stuff, but there is nothing that we can experience, nothing that we could taste, nothing that we could see that even compares with what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Our excitement for Jesus should be so far above our excitement for anything else that everything else just pales in comparison. Jesus' work on the cross means that we can be saved from sin and death. We can be delivered from that, from man's two greatest enemies. And and, and not only be delivered from the sins of our past, but have a hope for our future. Jesus offers us eternal life. He says nobody can get there except through me. But if you trust in him, you have the promise that he's gone to prepare a place for us. And if he goes to prepare a place for us, he'll come again and receive us unto himself so that we can be with him for all eternity. There's nothing that should excite you more than knowing Jesus. And you can see it in Andrew and Philip's life. You can almost hear it as they express um, in their invitation to Peter and Nathaniel. Man, we found him. This is the answer. We found the answer for life. They were excited about it. Not only were they excited about being hooked on Jesus, they were expressive about being hooked on Jesus. Man, if there was social media back in the day, they'd have been posting all day 
about their experience. We have found Jesus, selfie with Jesus, you know, that have been sharing it all over the place because we live in a social media world where we get excited about stuff and then we express it by sharing. I mean, you can comment on stuff, you can like stuff, you can love stuff, heart stuff. You can share stuff that you really like and are excited about. And don't, don't we really share some of the most ridiculous things? Like just the most ridiculous things. I mean, we'll, we'll share about a new place that we've eaten. Man, if you haven't eaten this place, we'll take a picture of our food and we'll post it online. Uh, we, we share all kinds of stuff. We see funny little jokes and we share it freely. But why are we so resident to share Jesus with people? What is it that is so intimidating where we just freeze and we're afraid to share our faith? Man, if we shared Jesus as much as we shared pictures of our food, we'd have revival in the land, right? So where's the disparity? I I think it's because, sadly, we're more excited about that stuff than we are about Jesus. You see, Philip and Andrew were excited and their excitement caused them to be expressive. And when you get excited about stuff, you're, you're expressive. You'll, you'll talk about a new food place you ate. You'll, you'll talk about your team, you know. You'll root them on, even when they're not that great, Carlos, the Jets, man. He is a diehard <laughs> Jets fan. He doesn't care. He puts it out there, right? But we, we get excited about that stuff, and we share it indiscriminately. But when it comes to Jesus, our lips are sealed. Why? I'm afraid it's because we're not as excited about Jesus as we are about that other stuff. I'm afraid it's because our our personal relationship with him isn't as fresh as it once was. And maybe we've forgotten what he's done for us. How he's forgiven us of our sin, how he's given us a new life, how he's indwelt us with the power of his Holy Spirit, how one day we'll spend eternity with him and so our lips are sealed We'll talk about the latest movie we've watched, the newest restaurant we've tried. We even freely discuss what politicians we vote for, but when it comes to Jesus, it's like a lockbox. Remember that game Simon Says that you played when you were a kid? Simon Says, raise your hand, you raise your hand, but you don't do anything unless Simon Says, but if Simon Says and you don't do something, you're out of the game. Well, it's like the church plays Jesus Says, except the only difference is The things that Jesus says, well, we don't necessarily have to do it. Like Jesus says, love your neighbor, and we're like, not going to (laughs) happen. Jesus says, forgive as God through Christ has forgiven you. Nope. Simon says, uh, go make disciples. Too busy. Simon says, be witnesses of me. Yeah, but there's this new Netflix series, and I really want to catch up. And you see how we are in the church? We're not only supposed to be excited about our faith because we're hooked on Jesus, we're supposed to be expressive about it, not just because of our excitement, but because of God's commandment. Jesus commands us throughout Scripture, be witnesses of me. And yet we don't often do what he says. So the first thing we see is that Andrew and Philip's evangelism, reaching out to their friends and family with Christ, was prompted by an exciting and expressive relationship with Jesus. They were hooked on Jesus. And they were hooked so much on Jesus that, number two, they went fishing for friends who didn't know Jesus. It's that simple. They were hooked on Jesus. They had some friends who hadn't heard of Jesus. And so they thought they'd tell those people about Jesus so that they could get hooked on Jesus. It's pretty simple. Andrew finds his brother, Peter. 
Philip goes and finds his friend. You see, there was an existing connection with those people. So they fished for friends who didn't know Jesus because there was a connection. Andrew was following Christ. It had changed his life. And so instinctually, he thought of a family member. Hey, Peter, my brother, doesn't know about Jesus. I'm going to tell Peter, my brother, about Jesus. Do you have any family members that don't know Jesus? I do. And then Nathaniel did, or um, Philip did the same thing. He's like, man, I'm following Jesus, and this is great. We found the Messiah. But I have a friend, Nathaniel. He doesn't know about Jesus. I'm going to go tell Nathaniel about Jesus. Do you have any friends that don't know Jesus? Pretty simple. You say, yeah, Dave, but these guys were disciples. They were day-old disciples. Yeah, but they were with Jesus. They probably had a lot of training. They were, they were with him less than 12 hours. Do you understand? They, didn't even, they weren't even indwelt by the power of the Holy Ghost yet, who gives us power to be witness. And they were already witnessing. They hadn't even received the commissions of Christ, and yet because of their excitement, they were expressive about their faith. And so they went fishing for friends who didn't know Jesus because there was a connection. There was also a concern. Both Andrew and Philip realized that if they didn't share with their brother and friend about Jesus, that they would miss out on the Messiah that they would die in their sin without hope. There was a concern. One of the first things that entered their mind after following Jesus was who doesn't know him? Because it's amazing. We found the Messiah. Who doesn't know he's here yet? And how can we tell them? And they started looking for people to share Christ with. You know that fish swim by us every single day and they're going downstream to destruction? You're surrounded by people every single day that don't know about Jesus. Does that bother you? It should. Hey, I'll admit, I don't like crowds, okay? I don't like busy streets. I don't like crowded stores. I don't like waiting in line. And there are some days where I look at people and I'm like, come on. Where did these people come from? Last Saturday, I went to three car washes before I was able to wash my car because all the vacuums were taken up. I'm like, I'm not going to pay for the car wash if I can't use the free vacuum. <laughs> I drove all around Burleson until I was patient and calm enough to wait for a vacuum cleaner. In, in those moments, I don't have a whole lot of compassion. But I'm praying that God will give me that compassion and see those people as He sees those people. I should be more concerned for their soul than I am about my inconvenience. Do you care? Do you care? See, Andrew and Philip both, they, they were connected to some people that didn't know Jesus, and they cared about them. They cared about those people. They cared about their soul. And if you don't care, you should care. Because if you claim to be hooked on Jesus and excited about him, and you don't care what he cares about, you need to check and make sure you're really hooked on Jesus. Because when you love someone, you begin to love what that someone loves. And the Bible says that God loves the world so much that he gave his only son for them. So you need to check your heart. You need to make sure that there's a compassion, a concern for those who don't know Jesus. Well, maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, Dave, man, thank you for the reminder on the Great Commission passages. That's great. I wrote them down in my Bible. That was a great reminder. We are commissioned. We have one job. 
And thank you for sharing that great story about Andrew and Philip. It's so cool to see how they um, shared their faith right away. That is really good. But honestly, I'm still scared to death to share my faith personally. Well, that's why I wanted to save the balance of my time this morning to give you some tools to help you fulfill this one mission. I'm going to give you three points of application. and They're super simple. And so write them down this morning, okay? The first one is pray. Pray. I know you hear that all the time, but I'm going to tell you what to pray for and how to pray, okay? I want you to pray for those friends and family members who don't know Jesus. Friends, family members, coworkers, pray for them by name specifically. And then don't just pray for them. Pray that God would give you an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Two weeks ago, we had a Sunday night uh, praise and prayer night. We, it, was, it was awesome. Uh, ben and the worship team did a great job. They seg- segmented off the sanctuary uh, to serve different purposes for prayer. And on this wall over here, we had some butcher paper, and the job was that while you were in this section, you were to think of friends or family members that didn't know, or coworkers or whatever, didn't know Jesus, and you were to write their names on the wall and then pray for them. Pray that they would trust Christ. Pray that God would give you an opportunity to share Christ with them. And we heard some great stories that the wall was filled with names. And uh, one of the great stories we heard was from Caleb Shalowitz. And I've asked Caleb to come up this morning. He's going to share something that happened. Uh, because uh, you can't be too careful when you pray because God hears and answers prayer. Amen? Amen. So, Caleb, would you mind sharing with us how God heard and answered your prayer sure. two nights ago or two Sundays ago? Hi, I'm Caleb. I'm one of the teachers of the Unity class. Um, as Dave said, we're at the end of the 40 days of prayer and fasting that we're doing for the church. Uh, and three weeks ago, we had that uh, service where we, um, on Sunday night, where we had the midpoint where we uh, prayed in a worship service. And um, I thought I knew what to expect. I've been to a couple of those before. thought I knew what I was getting into, and I was definitely wrong. Um, so during that service, uh, we broke up into groups, uh, like Dave said, and there were different areas where we could pray for our church and for the politicians and uh for the high schools around the area, for people that are lost. And over here, um, God laid on my heart that um, I'm a firefighter in Mesquite, and I work with seven guys and spend a third of my life with them. And there's four guys that I know that I work with that aren't saved. And um, so I wrote them down and I prayed for them and laid it on my heart, even though that there's plenty of opportunities that I've missed over the past five years to talk to them that God would give me just one more chance to speak to one of them. So I went to work the next day, and it was a normal day like everything else. Uh, we uh, went about our business as usual until lunch, and every, every uh, meal that we eat, we pray before we eat. And it wasn't a special, special prayer that we said. It was the same prayer that these guys have heard for five years, three times a day. Um, but after the prayer, one of the guys looked at me and asked me, why do you pray? What, I mean, what is, what is the point? What are, you, what are you praying for? So I got to, a chance to share with him, but not just him. Two of the other guys were sitting at that table as well. Amen. So I got a chance to tell them my story about why I'm saved, um, how I know that I'm saved, why I know that God is real. And... We, we just sat there and talked for two hours. It was incredible. 
Um, was I completely perfect in everything that I said? Absolutely not. Um, was I, did I have all of the answers to all the questions that they asked? No. Uh, but I know that God used it to open up a door in their heart. Um, so I say that to say this, that you're at the jobs that you're at for a reason. Uh, you're, you live next to the neighbors that you live next to for a reason. And you're friends with the people that you're friends with for a reason. And that's to help them find Christ and bring them to him. Amen. Amen. Everybody give Caleb a hand. Thanks for... Amen. Thanks for helping me preach, man. Paul says in Colossians 4, 3 through 4, he said, pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. Pray that I will proclaim the message as clearly as I should. So when you pray... Pray for those lost friends, family members, co-workers, but pray that God would give you an opportunity. And, and i got to be honest with you, we have a, we have a tendency that, that when we pray, we're praying for other people to share. But I want you to pray and ask God, God, give me an opportunity. Why? Because there's already connection. There's care, there's concern. They know that you love them. You've established that. Now... Check, 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 check. Let's go to this one. Let's go to this one. And if you pray, God will scare you into sharing your faith. He'll answer with fire from heaven. Anyway, thank you for that, Jana. I appreciate that. By the way, she has no, she has no control over that. It's a wireless thing. I've always wanted to say that. Anyway, uh, so pray. But be careful because when we pray, God sends fish our way got to be ready. So that brings me to number two. You got to pray and then you got to prepare to share. Prepare to share. It's really simple. And when I talk about share, I'm not talking about these memorized formulas. If that helps you do that. But I'm talking about telling your story. Did you know that your testimony is the greatest tool in your tackle box? Nobody can debate your testimony. When you tell them what Jesus did in your life, I don't believe it. No, they can't argue with it. You say, this is what my life was like before I met Jesus. This is how I met Jesus. And this is what my life has been like after I met Jesus. And if you ever have any questions about that, come and ask me and I'll do my best to answer those questions. And if I don't have the answers, we'll find somebody that does. And I'm telling you this because I care about you. It's good news that we're sharing. It's not a debate that we have to win. It's good news that we get to share. It's like telling someone that they have access to an amazing inheritance. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to deliver that news? By the way, there's a massive inheritance waiting for you. All you have to do is believe it. That's it. It's good news. It's great news. It's the best news that can be delivered, and so you have to prepare to share it. If you want to join our church, we invite you to a class called Discover Hallmark, where you sit around a table with our pastor and his wife, and you hear all about our church and and while you consider exploring church membership with us, Pastor John gets to know you. You get to know Pastor John. You get to know our history. But one of the cool things that Pastor John does is he invites everybody to share their story of how they came to faith in Christ. And he has them write it out. How many of you have ever written out your testimony? Okay? It's a great thing to do. Write out in a clear and concise way how you met Jesus. 
Andrew would be like, I was following John the Baptist for a while. One day, John the Baptist points at this guy and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I'm like, Why am I following this crazy guy? I want to follow that guy. And I left him, and my life has not been the same. And one of the first things I did was I went and I found my brother, and now he is, has left everything, a, a great fishing business. Now he's following Jesus. Now he's the head of the Jerusalem church. You may have heard of him, Peter. I mean, it, just write it out. This is my life before Jesus. This is how I met Jesus. And this is what my life has been like since meeting Jesus. Prepare to share. So pray. Prepare to share. And then finally, and this is so important, put a line in the water. What am I talking about? I'm talking about you can't go fishing unless you put a line in the water. You know, we have some great fishermen in our church. Many of you don't know this, but we have some guys that can really catch fish. I got a couple pictures of him this morning. There is one of our fishermen, Matt Wagner. He said he actually caught that fish accidentally. I can't catch fish like that on purpose. <laughs> he caught that fish accidentally. He was going for bass, but he ended up with a huge catfish. Who's the next guy we have? Oh, there's Brian Nutt. Brian Nutt. Good fisherman right there holding up his catch. The next one we have, there's Tommy Graham and all of his boys. Look at that stringer full of fish that they caught. I haven't seen that. I haven't caught that many fish in my entire life. And they did it at one, at one fishing hole. Who's the next guy we have? There's Hayden Walraven. Look at that. Is that a salmon, Hayden? Trout. I'm sorry. I see you know how much of a fisherman I am. That's a nice trout, man. It's as big as a salmon. Anyway, who's the next guy? We got David Hayes, who's in Kenya right now. David, if you're watching, we just made you famous up there for your fishing skills. Who else do we have up there? There's Aaron Williford back in the day. Aaron looking at his catch. And this next guy is just getting started, but he's really good. Drew Wenger right there on his little catfish. And uh, he's just starting out as a fisherman. The reason I wanted to show you these uh, pictures of great fishermen is these guys know where the fish are. They know at what time of day they're closer to the service. They know what they're eating. They know how to, how to make the bait uh, jiggle just the right way. They know what they're doing. But they wouldn't catch fish unless they put a line in the water. You have to put a line in the water. You can pray all day. You can prepare to share your testimony. You can polish it up, get really good at it. But unless you put a line in the water, and this is what I'm talking about, a line is just a sentence that starts a gospel conversation. While you're with your friends, while you're with your family members that don't know Jesus, you just put a line out there. I don't know what your line is. Uh, here's one that I heard. Maybe, maybe you're working... Uh, next to a guy that, or, or a gal that you've worked with for years, and you could just say, you know what? I've been working with you for all these years, and I consider you not only a coworker but a friend, but I owe you an apology. You want to get somebody's attention? Tell them I owe you an apology. They're listening. Oh, what did you do to me? How did you hurt me? Say, I've known you all these years, and you know about my favorite place to eat. You know about my family, but I haven't told you about the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life. I met Jesus Christ as my Savior. This is what my life was like before that time. This is how I met Jesus. And this is what he means to me now. In him I have hope, I have peace, I have the promise of eternal life. And I just want you to know, I care about you, and I wanted you to know about the most important thing that ever happened to me. If you ever have any questions, you can come to me anytime. And I'll try to answer those questions for you. You would be shocked at what those lines will open up by way of conversation. 
Uh, maybe you're like the old preacher who gets on the elevator. Somebody gets on the elevator. You say, you're going up or down? I'm going to floor three. How about that last elevator ride? Will you be going up or will you be going down? I'm just kidding. You don't, don't say that. That's a, little, that's a little creepy when you're in a steel box, you know, with somebody. Don't do that. But, you know, maybe it's, a, maybe it's just a casual conversation. What, what brings you hope in life? Or, you know, we're in an election year, and I know everybody's all worried about who's going to be in the White House. But you know what? I'm not worried because I serve a God that's bigger than that. I don't put my hope in the White House. This is where I find my hope. You just toss something out there. It's just a line that gets thrown in the water that could start a gospel conversation. And then when that gospel conversation happens, you're prepared to share your story because you've been planning and you've been praying for this person. By name, you can even tell them that. I've been praying for you. What? What are you praying for? I, I pray that you find the same hope that I have. Pick a line, any line except the elevator one, and throw it out there in the water. And guys, I'm telling you, when you pray, when you prepare to share, and when you put a line in the water, God will bring fish your way. He will make you a fisher of men, not because of your skill, but because of the power of the gospel. You see, he hasn't called us to catch them. He's just called us to cast, right, to be a witness. He'll catch them. He'll save them. That's not on you. It's just on us to fish. When I was nine years old, I lived in Bozeman, Montana, and my fourth grade class went on a field trip to a fish hatchery just outside of Bozeman. And uh, it's a place where they kind of breed uh, fish that are native to Montana and restock streams and lakes. And uh, I was kind of boring, to be honest with you, until we went into this room where there were tanks of cutthroat trout, rainbow trout. I mean, there were so many fish in these tanks, all different sizes, baby ones medium-sized one, big adults that looked like the one that Hayden caught in. And they were just teeming and just rolling over each other. And as a little kid, I'm like, well, this is where all the fish are. The place my dad takes me has nothing but this place. You could reach in the tank and pull them out with your bare hands. Guys, I've been in this church for 15 years. And in that time, I've seen this community explode with people. Some of you don't like that. You're like, oh, we're getting crowded. It's crowded now. I have to wait in line at the car wash. You know what I see? I say, man, look at all these fish. Look at all these fish that God has surrounded us with. They're everywhere. And you know what I see when I look at the sanctuary? I say, look at all these fishers of men. Each and every one of you are connected to somebody that doesn't know Jesus and you care about them. So pray for them. Prepare to share your testimony with them. And then put a line in the water. Many of you are feeling insufficient. You're like, man, thanks Dave, but I could still use a little bit of training. I say, no, you've got what you need. I wanna show you a quote or read to you a quote. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this. He said, if you really understand what Jesus has done for you, you won't be able to keep it to yourself. You will whisper it in your child's ear. You will talk of it with your spouse. You'll be earnestly imparting it to your friends without the charms of eloquence. In fact, you'll be more than eloquent because your heart will speak and your eyes will flash when you speak of his sweet love. You'll be so excited about Jesus that you'll have to express it. Just like Andrew, 
just like Philip. Will you stand with me this morning? And as we close this service, I just want to lay this out there. There's really only two reasons, guys, that we don't share our faith. Just two. The first is we're just not excited about Jesus. We're just not excited anymore. We're excited about other things, but we're not excited about Him. The second reason is maybe we just don't know anybody that doesn't know Jesus. For years, we've heard the message, come out from among them, be ye separate. Yes. Separate, yes. Secluded, no. We said we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. That's true. We're not supposed to be caught up in the world's culture. But we're not supposed to confine ourselves away from the very people that need to hear the gospel. Insulate yourselves, yes, but don't isolate yourself from family and friends that need to hear the good news. The gospel came to you on its way to somebody else. Don't let it stop with you. So I don't know what you need to pray about this morning, but as we worship, the altars are open. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus for your salvation, there's people down front that would love to show you from God's word how you can be saved. If you just want to come and pray for lost friends and family members, I invite you to do that. But let's go fishing.